Binge Mode is brought to you by Yahoo Fantasy Football. This NFL season, be your own GM. Be a winning GM. Turn this season into a fistful of epic wins Ah! by joining a Yahoo Fantasy Football League. Yahoo has spent the offseason making serious upgrades to enhance your experience. So when you play fantasy football on Yahoo, the wins are as epic as the season is long. Yahoo Fantasy is also the only app where you can manage all of your season-long and daily fantasy teams in one place. Create or join a league now at yahoo.com slash binge mode fantasy football. Yeah. Warning. Binge mode contains adult content. It usually does. There's not much even PG-13 content in this particular pod. But, you know, I think it's a good rule of thumb to just remember that we do get a little blue sometimes, guys. Tried to keep it civil for once. Yes. One more warning. Binge mode contains spoilers, Lots and this spoilers. time, as many spoilers as ever. We talked so about many. not only the entire series, but what the series means and the lasting impact. And to do that, we had to talk about the things that happened in the series. Yep. So please proceed with extreme caution. And now what you're about to hear is our binge mode live panel from LeakyCon, the Harry Potter fan convention held in Dallas just last weekend. We were so lucky to be joined by Melissa and Nelly, one of our Not only friends, but idols in the space. The headmistress of Harry Potter fandom, CEO of Mischief Management, webmistress of the Leaky Cauldron, author, Harry of History, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Co-host of Pottercast. And the person who made LeakyCon a thing for us and everybody else. And we chatted with Melissa about the power of fandom and what makes the Harry Potter community in particular so meaningful and seemingly everlasting. And without further ado... Here is Binge Mode Live from LeakyCon. First of all, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being at LeakyCon, this wonderful event. This is Melissa Anelli, CEO of Mischief Management, webmistress of the Leaky Cauldron, author of Harry, a History, queen of our hearts. That's right. We're so lucky to have her with us today. I am Mallory Rubin. I am Jason Concepcion. We co-host Binge Mode, Harry Potter, for The Ringer. It's a great website. And we just wanted to say first, hello! Yeah! <laughs> If I can say this is it's super, super exciting because I listen to you guys all the time and I'm just really, 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 really thrilled to be here. We are thrilled to be here with you and we are thrilled to be here with everybody who loves Harry Potter. That's and right. that honestly is what we wanted to talk yeah. about today. We're going to exactly. keep it pretty casual and talk about something that is incredibly important to all three of the people on stage today. This story and the community that has sprung up around it. And we want to hear from some of you at the end. We thought we would just start by laying the foundation of our respective Harry origin stories, how we came to the story and how we came to the fandom, just to establish that for all of you and for anybody listening at home. You want to start? Sure. I I didn't start reading the books until uh, Hallows was going to come out. I'm the type of person where if people are like, this is great, 
you should engage with it, and I didn't find it on my own, then I'm like, I'm not going to read it. I, how good can it really be? And so I was like, no, 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 no. Um, and then such finally, a hipster. I, you know, that's I, it's it's a thing that I'm I understand about myself. So it was it's a very Ravenclaw t- yeah. trait. So <laughs> yes. Once the next, this last book was going to come out, the hype was just so strong. I'm like, I can't, it's I can't miss out on this. So I, I read them back to back to back to back to back to back. And here we are. What about you? That's beautiful. And it's, it's inspiring because it honestly, like all jokes aside, it's just, it is nice to remember that it's never too late to that's, become a part of something that is special. That's a great thing. That's a great point. And that's something we're going to talk about is that there's something about Harry Potter that feels different from other fandoms where wherever you, wherever you, whatever your entry point is, there's almost, there's never a judgment about where that that place is. Yes. Very accepting community, which we will be discussing at length. My Harry origin story Let's, do you guys think I will cry before we get no. through <laughs> my first answer? I'm going to say probably yes. Um, this, we'll see if the sub-zero temperatures turn my tears yeah, into icicles right. on my cheeks. <laughs> so I actually saw the first three movies wow. before I had read the books. And after each of the first two, I was like, this is great. I'm going to check this out immediately. And then, you know, whatever. And, and the, stupid teenager, something got in the way. But I saw Azkaban, I was 17, and I was like, this is dope. I don't know if I was saying dope yet at that point in my life, but if, if, if transport present day Mallory back to, to that point in time, and I would have said this is dope. And I just went right to a bookstore, and I got, at that point, the first four books were out in paperback. Order was out, but only in hardback. Had the paperbacks, tore through them. I was at the Outer Banks that summer for a week of family vacation, and that was when I was reading Goblet of Fire, and it was the first time to that point in my life where I had a transcendent, I can't put this down reading experience. Like, my whole family went to the beach, and I was like, I will just, let me know how it is today. Let me know what the waves are like out there, because all I can think about is Ludo, literal, Bagman, Bagman. The king. And Barty Crouch. Yeah. And... I got home at that point, order had come out in paperback. I got that too, read through that, obviously experienced a specific type of despair that only the end of order can bring. Yes. And then I went off to college and I just read these books over and over and over again and I became fully obsessed, immersed in the fandom in the wait for Half-Blood Prince. This is where she comes in and this is where I'm going to cry. <laughs> I just would sit in my dorm room freshman year of college, reading The Leaky Cauldron. <laughs> Here it is. And reading MuggleNet and finding the things that Melissa was doing. And it was like, wow, look at all these other people who love this thing. This is incredible. And <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. I'm such a cliche. So on brand. <laughs> and this is when I discovered podcasting too. Yeah. You know, the uh, true trailblazer really? in the industry and in digital media, which is something we also want to talk more about later. And two of the people on my, on my floor, my freshman year dorm, I had printed like, this is true nerd stuff. I had printed when they released the Half-Blood Prince cover art. I just printed it and hung it on my wall. <laughs> and you know I had the Ask Me a Movie poster and a couple other people saw it and that like my uh, other than Jason and my cat Halo to this day my best friend in the world Allison Koska 
you know, our dads had like started talking about the Orioles and Red Sox one day and we were like, guess we should be friends now. And then one day we're hanging out. She saw the Harry thing. We started talking about Harry. I saw the books in her dorm room and it became this portal to like the best friendship of my life. And all of my college friends were huge Harry fans, except for one Suzanne. And so when we started going by Marauder nicknames, we made her be Wormtail. (laughs) That is honestly, and then she eventually read them and was like, extremely mean. I was going to say the (laughs) the genius of that is that like, until she reads it, she don't know. But (laughs) very tough. And then honestly, I just began to like sort of evangelize for the story. I tried to get as many people as I could to read it. I got my stepmom treated. I got my mom treated. All of my friends. Oh, this is a true story. Only now, when we're doing Binge Mode Harry Potter, did I finally succeed in getting my husband to read Amazing. it. He had not read it to this point in time, which is shocking. But yeah, that's my Harry origin story. What about you? You have the most interesting one of all, certainly. Oh, no, I, just, I think it's a very ordinary origin story in the sense of it was so replicated and that was such a big part of why what we did became so relatable. Mm. Um, I was working, well, at first I was in college. I was at uh, my start of my last year of school and my sister looked at this like giant, you know, my family had come down to help me set up and my sister looked at this giant pack of books I had. I was like, oh, you need something light to read. These are great. And she put the first Harry Potter book in the Georgetown bookstore. She put it on my stack of books. Now I am- Boo Hoyas go Cuse. <clears throat> Sorry, continue. <laughs> So, I didn't know you were Syracuse. That's right. Um, so, you know, my whole life, I am. I'm a younger sister. I'm a. I'm. A th- I'm three years younger, and so my whole life has been about trying to seem cool to my older yeah. sister. That's just everything that she was into. I got into harder, you know. Yeah. And so she handed me Harry Potter, and I started reading it. And a couple of weeks later, I was supposed to be in some class. I don't even remember. I'm sure I put it in the book, but I don't even remember the name of the class. And I instead, I was across campus crying on my bed as like Harry is battling Voldemort in the graveyard. And it was just like the enormity of this little kid just trying to do what's right and the world is against him and he's his parents are coming out of the wands and this is the best thing I've ever read in my it's terrible. But right before that I had told somebody in my office newspaper where I was working. I had gone to school to be a doctor. I'd gone to Georgetown to be a doctor, which is, you know, wow hilarious in retrospect. (laughs) (laughs) So I was pre-med. And the Harry Potter books were this great distraction. But on the first day of college, I, and this is my first year of college, so four years earlier, I had walked into the newspaper office and somebody said, you know, do you like theater? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a big theater fan. I'd walked in for the pizza, to be very yeah. clear. Um, <laughs> I respect that strategy. You know, yeah. open houses, they all have pizza. We were going to have pizza. Got to get early start on the freshman 20. So um, she said to me, do you like theater? And I said, yes. And my whole brain is saying, like, don't say anything else, walk out of the room now. And she said, well, do you want to write reviews? And so I started working with the, oh. newspaper, with the newspaper in the arts section. By this point, by the point at which I'm reading Harry Potter, I had already thrown out medicine. Not thrown out, I was still right. taking my pre-med courses, but I knew I wasn't going further and I knew I was going to be a writer. If you ever want a fun thing, go to school to be a doctor and then sit your parents down and say you're going to be a writer instead. <laughs> it's a wonderful day in your life. And so... Um, so But because I came to the dedication to it so late, I hadn't had a lot of real friends in the office. And at one point, my friend, this girl, Sarah, saw Harry Potter sticking out of my bag. And I was very, like, in these days, you know, I was very like, oh, shove it in your bag. Nobody can know you're reading Harry Potter. And she just stopped. And I remember thinking, 
And she said, oh, my God, is that the first time you're reading mm. that? And I said, yes. And she says, as soon as you're done, we have to have lunch. She says, just, just tell me when you're done. And now Sarah was cool. Sarah was a sports editor. Sarah was like, hang with the guys, cool. Yeah. And this, that this girl was into Harry Potter was a big deal to me. And so obviously I raced through it. And as soon as it was done, I charged up into the office. I was like, I'm done. And she just literally dropped her, her fl- at this point, we had just gotten out of putting I'm dating myself, putting the actual articles on glued flats. <laughs> wow. wow. Old times. So um, she like dropped everything and we went to lunch and it was my first real deep dive into the canon and all the, the pieces, like what was the Glinton Dumbledore's eye about right. and all yeah. that. And this friendship that just immediately, we were friends to this day, that just immediately bloomed, actually read book seven at our house about, you know, that we came together over this thing, put the spark in about what this series really could be. And when I was unemployed and in September 11th had just happened, I was, uh, you know, in my mom's house with my very fancy Georgetown degree next to me while I was in pajamas in the living room, like useless, you know? And I just started reading Harry Potter again. And when I got to the end of book four, what I thought was, well, book five has surely come out by now. This is 2001. Right. Like, surely book five has come out right now. I will go find it on the internet. <laughs> Any Gryffindor with strong Ravenclaw leanings goes to the internet and is sure they're going to find <laughs> They will find it. But I didn't. And what I found instead was the Leaky Cauldron, which existed already, right. but was the only website, only fan website at the time, save maybe the OneRing.net, which was starting this. Right treating fandom like something to be reported upon. So you had like Harry Potter and reporting together and I was mm. like, right. I will do it. And so that's how the whole, I could tell the whole book right now, but that's how the whole journey started. It was long, sorry. I'm glad you talked about uh, having to shove the book down into your, into your bag because I think that's like a thing that is really incredible to look back upon now is that is this rise of, I, mean, I hate this term, but like quote unquote nerd culture. The fact that like, you know, Harry Potter was a thing you you talked about with your friends and if you liked it, you know, you talked about it with the people who you knew liked it, but it's not like you went around broadcasting like I love Harry Potter, blah, 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 I'm going to wear the t-shirt. And that's completely changed now to the point where, I mean, obviously there's a self-sustaining community now that's vibrant and large, but it's, you can go out and be like, I love Harry Potter, man. That's a thing about me that like, I want to tell people. Well, do you, which, which do you guys think informed the other? Or yeah. is it both? Like, is it that the, the rise of Harry helped people feel more comfortable embracing their nerdier leanings and saying, this is a thing I love and I don't care who knows? Or was it this larger rise of, again, I also reject the term, but right. nerd culture uh, that then allowed people to say, oh, all these people out here who love... Song of Ice and Fire, or Star Wars, or Lord of the Rings, or Marvel comics, or whatever. Like, comics are cool now. That was just not always the case. And then people who are Harry Potter fans could say, oh, I'm a part of this. Here's my thing. Or is it just all... I think a lot of it has to do with just the development of technology and the way it's progressed and has allowed people to find like minded people to find the people who they want to be in a community with um, that don't necessarily exist in their exact geographic location. Um, you can go on a forum, you can go on Twitter, you can go on a different place and be like, here's the thing I like and I, and I want to look for people who like that thing. And kind of over time realizing, whoa, there's actually like a lot of us. Right. There's yeah. a ton of us. Well, the Harry, it's so interesting because I do think it is technology, definitely. But I think what Harry Potter did in those early days advanced it so fast, mm. so at such a at such a rapid pace because the internet 
was such an enormous part of why Harry got just so big. It was 1999, Harry Potter was like sort of doing its discovery cresting where it was a story because people were discovering it and it's a hot thing. There were three book releases that year, one in England and two in America. And also the internet reached 100 million households, which is like the benchmark for when something becomes an indispensable part. And so at the same time, there was this ongoing unfinished series that people were engaging in and that was fueling itself and they were using they were figuring out ways to use the internet for that purpose and to create this community in in ways that hadn't been done yet and so they sort of developed alongside each other and I think it's definitely internet is like 70% of it and I think the fact of Harry Potter um, being so core it makes was at that rise makes it so core all this I think that something you just said there is really key like (sighs) Harry feels for, I think, a lot of us, like, such a huge part of our lives, not only in terms of, like, emotional mistakes, but in terms of literal years and percentage yeah. of our life that it's been a part of our life. But it actually happened quite quickly compared to a lot of other stories yes. like this. Shouts to my dude, George R. R. Martin, who is never going to finish oh, these oh books. So, but, like, yeah. compare it to Thrones, right? So something like Harry is... It's happening with the books and you are falling so deeply into this world and you're theorizing. I mean, I would like freshman year dorm room situation that I mentioned, I would run back to my dorm room during my lunch breaks and just boot up the web to read a theory or try to figure something out. But the movies were also underway at that point and that was exposing the story to so many other people and just making it mainstream. I think these books are are more mainstream than obviously a lot of other fantasy literature is, but that dual sort of, in essence, simultaneous path of creation that then still had an end date and it felt contained in like something you could really wrap your arms around, but also like something you got to live through and help create, which gave you a real stake in it. And then we had, of course, this like very ultimately, in hindsight now, very brief lull yeah. before we started yeah. getting more of the it. Three-year summer. Yeah, yeah. which has obviously sustained and propelled this whole new generation of fandom. Jason and I had, we, we told Melissa about this earlier, we had an incredible experience here oh, yeah. Where so we did a uh, we did a Crimes of Grindelwald, Grindelwald, Grindelwald. excuse me, <laughs> Grindelwald trailer breakdown, and we did this on Friday. There was a, a young boy yes. in the session with us who was just an extremely active participant, sharing theories, putting his hand up, letting a us know. A lot of theories, tons of theories. A lot of theories. Almost offered him the third mic. He was yeah. so into it, and. We ran into him and his mother at the hotel last night and she pulled us aside and said, you know, thank you for uh, basically just letting him share all all of his thoughts. And we started chatting with her and she explained to us that she's here at Leaky because she is a Harry Potter fan and that her son is here because he is a Fantastic Beast fan and that he doesn't care about Harry Potter, which is really genuinely fascinating. It has honestly never occurred to me. Me neither. Me neither. Not once. But it's this amazing. It's a whole new generation. <laughs> yeah. Not that they would just be, I knew that there would be Fantastic Beast fans. Yeah. yeah but not that they would enter this right. as a Fantastic Beast fan. It's fans. this new gateway for yeah. a whole generation of fans. And then Wild. you also have OG Harry Potter fans who are now introducing their kids, their children, or younger people, or friends, or uh, any new generation and to the story. You guys have hit on something I think that's really important, which is like the innate openness of the of the community. Yes, I don't think you have to stretch your imagination too far to think about experiences we've had in other communities. Like you know, like there's a lot of 
similar themed stories, so to speak, that I like, where I've gone into a forum to be like, oh, I'm, I'm going to talk about this story that I love. And you get a fact wrong, and all of a sudden people are coming at your neck. Savage. Just coming hard at your neck. Like, ah, you don't know it. You don't know your facts, but that's like a thing get that good, is. Get good, bro. That, yeah, get good, bro. That is a thing that has really never happened in this community, at least in my experience, where it's like, however people find it, the rest of the community, even if they've been there since day one, is just extremely accepting of that. Like, what makes this community so special in that regard? I always, I've been asked this question a bunch over the years, and I think that, I think that the fandom that rises up around a thing tends to reflect the core values yes. of um. the thing. And so Harry Potter, as J.K. Rowling has said, is a prolonged plea for tolerance. It's a right. prolonged plea for equality. And when those are the things that people connect with at the center of a story, yeah. and you know, because stories are analogies for so many real yeah. things, and they are real in that way. And so when you connect with the story, what you're doing is connecting with whatever is at the center of it, pushing it forward. Yeah. And so when you build a community around people who think that, yeah, Voldemort's a jerk, and yeah, this blood thing is ridiculous, yeah. then you, and especially when that community starts talking about the the analogies to the real world, yeah. it and these days, it's yeah. even more intense, those conversations. And so when you start making those lines make sense to people and people bring their experiences into it, I think you really build a community that brings those ideas into actual life. It's cool, isn't it? It's real amazing. It's wonderful. You know, I think along those lines as well, some of the central themes of the story, you know, identity, choice. And I think there's something really fulfilling for Harry Potter fans about being able to say, I can choose how I identify with this story or what aspect of it yeah. I identify with. Yeah. And that there are all these different ways in. Obviously, like it's interesting to think about something like I think that the house divide, yeah. which is literally is a divide, but from that divide, people find community, yeah. like micro-communities within the larger community. And you can say, I want to wear my just incredible, resplendent, yeah. I love this thing. For those listening, it is a red, red capelet from El Hoffer Design (laughs) that you've been seeing around the... I love it so much. And it's even more... There's levels of complexity to it, which is what I love about this story. Even the sorting, which allows people to celebrate their, their traits and such, even the sorting... At one point, the sorting hat is like, should I be sorting right. kids? Yeah. Should I even be doing this? You know, like the, it's that kind of self-reflection. We must unite on together, the, or we'll crumble from within. I have told you. Yeah. I have warned you. Let the sorting now begin. It's amazing. It's that level. See of, I love these guys. <laughs> it's that amazing. level of self-reflection on the idea of community separation and equality, even within the story, that makes this story so compelling and right. really helps it resist this kind of like easy critique of oh, it's a kid's story, as if there aren't like really powerful and meaningful things that you consider as a child that stay with you for your entire life. Yes, get out of here with this. This is a kid's story nonsense, people. Because first of all, one, it is a story for all people. And two, 
So what if it is? Yeah. Why is that a bad thing? Like our childhood is this formative time in our life where we learn so much about who we are and what we want to be. And it's just, it always is so demeaning to throw that out there as though it is somehow a limitation as opposed to a source of strength. And again, that taps into, I think, what people love so much about this story, that idea that J.K. Rowling consistently explores about turning something that somebody else thinks is a weakness right. and making right. it your strength, owning it. One, what, one way to get, like, the easiest, one of the easiest ways over the years that people have, especially in interviews, and there are examples of this, like, I don't know, on the BBC maybe, where yeah. somebody says to me, well, why are you so into a kid's story? And right. I just lose it a little like because it's a great story a great and story. there is value in reading about people discovering who they are is value for all people in that oh i'm getting angry now i'm gonna get <laughs> it let it out well i think about some of the questions that really come into your mind like as a kid you know like will i ever make friends will i ever be accepted do my parents love me you know like will i find a place in the world those are do i have to be what other people think yeah, i am those are existential questions that stay with you for your entire life that this story Explores. Well, do you think that the perception around the story has changed over the two decades? Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I think one of the capping moments was when Book 7 came out and the New York Times, which had been very complimentary, but also a little New York Timesy about it. Um, (laughs) It's like, you know, when Eddie Izzard says it's a little French, it's a little New York Timesy. about it saying, like giving it due as a real classic. Yeah. Because if people can't get on board with reading kids' literature, they do get on board with reading children's classics. Yes. To, you yeah. know? And so right. that something about, I know it meant a lot to Joe. I know when I interviewed her for the book, she mentioned what a sigh of relief she You see how she just read. like very yeah, subtly. <laughs> No, my friend in the book incorporated <laughs> into the flow of a sentence that she is, uh, has interviewed JKR and is best friends with her. You saw how that happened, right? <laughs> incredible. She's a lovely, lovely, lovely person. Um, you dropped something. I think you dropped a, a reference to JKR. Little, name, little names are a little, little, uh, little name on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I, I think I think it I think it does. It did. I know she didn't put complete, you know, forever stock in whether yeah. or not the New York Times would come to her back and call. I mean, you can't, right? You, you can't. You can't. You can't. She. But to have that kind of moment where it was like, no, I've created something that's going to stay in the pantheon forever, had to have been a huge moment for her. And I think since then, the fact that it has stayed, I mean, look where we are. Yeah. Yes. My God, 11 years later, here we are at the biggest Harry Potter convention that's ever happened. And it's like, oh, whoa, no, this is a living thing still. Did it ever at any point to you as somebody who was on both sides of it, you know, somebody who was taking it in and appreciating it and consuming it as a fan, but also someone who was increasingly involved in the engine around it, did it ever seem tenuous to you? Did it ever seem like it might have an expiration date or did you know, did you always know that this was a forever thing? No, it definitely, we definitely were concerned. I mean, LeakyCon changed its name to GeekyCon a couple years ago because we were starting to bring in other fandoms against the idea that, you know what, we have to protect this community and make sure that they can still be around and have a place to gather once the verve for Harry Potter sort of slides down a little bit. Boy, was that wrong. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, we, and it was a bit, and so we put the on the brakes and turned back around and here we are at LeakyCon. So yeah, no, we definitely did worry about that. But I think once, once the Fantastic Beasts thing got announced and once it became clear every... I think we ended Pottercast and we were like, well, we're going to end Pottercast and right. we'll be back if she does something. And like the next week, The Cuckoo's Calling came out and it was like discovered. You know, it was like, oh, okay, here we go. We got to record. I love those books, by Me the way. Too. <laughs> 
fabulous. I started a podcast about the one. Well, and what's I it been like? It. Just can't wait for Lethal White. As someone who's been on on multiple sides of this, just what was it like having to explain this line of work? In the mid two thousands, as compared to now, when it's like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. You run a Harry Potter convention, sure. So if you ever have, want to really have fun, go to school, be a doctor. Then in your third year, tell your parents you want to be a writer. <laughs> and then a couple months after you graduate, say I'm going to do this Harry Potter thing in my all my spare time. That was super super fun. Yeah. They they would see me because I was living with them at the time, yeah. and they're like, what are you doing? And I didn't know what I was doing while I was spending every last minute you know, in building this website and in this community and, and it just, something about it felt right and over and over and over again. I mean, when we started going to Junkets, fans did not do that. That wasn't yeah. a thing. Um, yeah. I remember writing to Warner Brothers constantly saying, can we, I'd like to come, I'd like to come, I want to cover it because we were right. so tired of Katie Couric asking J.K. Rowling, what about Harry and Hermione? I was like, stop, <laughs> stop it. What are you doing? Get a fan in there. They'll ask the right questions. Yeah. And so I remember the first time that they answered and said we could, we could go to a Junket, it was like, and you guys, you guys know junkets. They're really yeah. exciting, but they're junkets. You can right. try. But it was like the world had exploded. You know, we we're going to get to cover it. And I remember the next year, somebody at Warner Brothers had told me, oh, hey, when this movie comes out, this Prisoner of Azkaban, will you give us a blurb? Ooh. And I know, like, give us a quote. And I was like, uh, okay. And he must have been spreading this around the company, though, because I came out of the elevator at the junket for Prisoner of Azkaban and I heard somebody on the phone at Warner Bros. going, but we would never quote The Leaky Cauldron. And, <laughs> and then I was like, hi, I'm from The Leaky Cauldron. He was right. like, oh, hi, it's in there. Um, so yeah, it was a constant, it was a constant thing. And then slowly but surely, it just became the norm. Yeah. I think one of the incredible things to observe over the last X number of years, I guess we could try to timestamp it, is that fandom has become inextricable from the rest of life. Yeah. Like for so many people, obviously including the three of us, are been fortunate enough to turn our passions into yeah, an I mean, aspect what, of our professions. Yeah. Yeah. What you guys do, is it's incredible to me. To turn around and see The Ringer, which is this huge website, spending... Great website. It's Re- great please website. read The Ringer. It's my boyfriend's a massive fanboy of the ringer. I will. <laughs> He's Captain Ravenclaw over there. Um, to see you guys and your company develop value in in indulging in mm. that fan, it's so it's, it must be feels validating for you guys. It's incredibly validating. It's also one of the greatest con jobs we've ever foisted <laughs> on a on a media company of, of all time. Uh, <laughs> Cut that out. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, no, I mean. Yeah. The company, one of the core pillars on which the entire company is built is obsession. Right. Passion. Passion. And in many ways that manifests in like analytical NBA blogging, right? But one of the truly remarkable things about getting to work at The Ringer, and we feel extremely fortunate to get to do it, is that you can say, well, what about this thing? Yeah. I love this and I know other people love it too. And that's where, again, this idea of community comes in and, and also where the idea of technology comes in because you can, you can see that correlation is provable. It's like defined. This thing exists and we can be a part of it. And, you know, something that we talk about so often on the podcast is this idea of the family you choose. You know, and we started talking about it with Game of Thrones, with the Song of Ice and Fire, but it obviously applies to Harry Potter. Yes. And I think in a meta sense it applies to what we're trying to do with binge mode and to what's happening here with LeakyCon and to everything else. It's this beautiful idea. Uh, I'm gonna, probably going to cry again. Here we go. Here we go. 
of, I think the, the most incredible thing that happens when we get the chance to talk to people who love binge mode and we're always amazed that there are yeah. people out there who listen to the podcast and we get to talk to them and to hear people say like, I love this thing, this thing being Song of Ice and Fire or Harry Potter or whatever it might be. And it's just incredible through your podcast or your sites or your convention or whatever the specific thing might be to find other people who love it too. And to get to choose your family around the thing that you love the most. It's just an amazing thing. You know, one of the things I've realized the more, the more experience I get working in this field is that everything is really story. Here's, how, here's a great way to defend your interest in anything that people consider quote-unquote nerdy. Um, listen to any sports fan talk about sports. And, like his star in Marine? Yeah, or talk, yeah, talk about like the, the particular athlete that they, they admired as a youth or now. They talk about it the same way. People desire stories to help them explain their own life. And sometimes that takes the form of the arc of, of a particular sports team and their uh, movement through the years and through the season. And they see the rise and fall and the tragedy of, a, of games that have been lost and a particular player who blew a particular play. And they talk about it in the same way as people who love literature talk about a character who made a mistake in a particular story or blew something or was particularly Machiavellian or whatever. It's all story. And I think that's particularly germane in the way um, you see the rise of these kind of like secondhand experience podcasts and various content. Like you see um, uh, reaction videos is a a thing that's very popular around Game of Thrones where people, the people who experienced the story years ago want to kind of vicariously experience it again through watching people who have no idea about this story watch the big moments and get that feeling as if, oh man, this is what it was like when I didn't know it was coming. And it's the same thing with like uh, the Potterless podcast, which is a great podcast. a podcast, A great podcast. And what's the draw of that podcast? Watch and experience this story almost as if for the first time through the eyes of a person who has no idea what's coming. Um, and that's a really amazing evolution of like this whole genre. Like, Where do you think it's going next after this? Oh my gosh. Tertiary reaction. So yeah. I'm watching somebody read. No, I'm watching somebody react to somebody yeah. who's reacting. Yeah. No, I don't know. Have I mean, you ever probably. heard of uh, Mark Ashiro? Um, Mark Ashiro does, it's, it's at Mark, Mark does stuff. He, a while ago, started reading the Harry Potter books, didn't know anything about them, and started posting his textual reactions. And a lot of it was just like all caps. Yeah. And it's the most pure, beautiful <laughs> thing. And he just, he just actually published a book. He's, uh, um, he's, a, he's a fantastic, fantastic person. That, that joy when you know what's coming and you see somebody yeah. to hear about, I, I, oh, here I comes. can't wait. Yeah. It's like when you sit down with somebody you love and you make them watch a movie. Yeah, you know? Really? Yeah. I don't know where it's going next. I mean, I think one of the thrilling things about this moment in time and seeing the energy around beasts is like, and obviously some of that is fraught, but it's still happening. She's still making things. She's still creating. I'm so, one of the things that I am truly most grateful for in the entire universe right now is that JKR does not care about the bros out there who are like, you're the new George Lucas, stop. You know, I... Thank you, because I got on this rant, and it is like, how dare you tell a creator, even George Lucas, how dare you tell a creator not to create? And a lot of them will do it in the same breath that that they say, it's my turn to create, this is ours now. And I'm like, stop, create whatever you want. But how dare you tell somebody who's given us so many wonderful, wonderful things to stop her pen for a second? I want everything.
nothing that comes out of that pen. I you know? feel completely the same way. And I think <laughs> to the extent that even if like whatever, you know, cursed child. Right. Not canon. Not canon. But it's whatever canon. one's particular <laughs> feeling not might canon. be, sure, it's, it's it canon, doesn't matter because canon. every new detail, I just love the world and I want to yeah. live in the world and I want to be around other people who want to live in the world. And so every new detail, like every Pottermore post is a gift to me. I, I sincerely consider her Twitter canon. Like I do, I do because it's all from the mouth of the goddess. Mouth of the god, yeah. And, but I do think that taps into something that's really fascinating about not only the Harry community, but fandom in general in the yeah. modern age, which is the, this idea of ownership. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. who is entitled to what? Yeah. And you know, look, no one group of people is perfect, but I I do think that one of the things that makes the Harry Potter community, I'm developing, I'm hearing a New Jersey accent. Come out. <laughs> one of the things that I Which think is about the Harry Potter you know, community, is, uh, not sure why that's happening Harry right Potter. now. But I'd like that to, to not you happen. I saying- frankly would prefer the Baltimore accent to come out, which I've never said before. But this idea that. We know the thing is still happening. We know that she is still writing. We're going to get more Beast movies. Yeah. We are so fortunate that she is actually writing those yeah. movies. It didn't. Yeah. It could. It could have gone in so many other ways. Yeah. Cursed Child is happening. Not Hopefully, canon. we'll continue to get all of these yeah. other extensions and elements of the world. Give me that Marauder spinoff one of these days. And I yes, think one of the yes. things that makes the Harry community special is that there are people who say, "Well, here's my preference. Here's my ideal version of this." But also, I respect the fact that mm. this is what we have and yes. I'm just going to look for my way in and find my particular relationship to this mm-hmm. aspect of the story and everybody can make their own choice and relate to it in their own mm-hmm. way not everybody has to be excited about the new Fantastic Beast movie like no. that's fine totally I can't fine. wait I've yeah. watched that trailer like nine million times and I will watch it more <laughs> yeah there's four million of them probably this weekend alone. Quite a, quite a few this weekend <laughs> quite a few this weekend quite a few this weekend what do you guys think about the, the particular role of magic in the, in what makes the story magical? Like you were talking about the core values of Harry Potter. And I think like the role of magic in this story is so much about uh, transcending pain and loss. That's something that we really tapped into when we, when we had started doing this podcast is like the amount of people who are like, this has helped me. This story helped me and like get through serious times in my life because here's a kid who, if you imagine for a second, if you allow yourself to, his life without magic, it's a tragedy story. Um, But because magic came into his life and really picked him, he's able to do incredible things. And I just love that idea of of magic existing in a story, but also existing for us as like a metaphor for the, the things you go through every day. I think that one of the beautiful things about the story is that magic doesn't cure everything. Right. Magic is so key to their world, but the, the quality of the, the and the character of a person is is the determining right. factor. It's the whole the whole story is about that scene in book six when Harry and Dumbledore are talking is to this date possibly my favorite scene in the mm. entire book when Harry who has been sort of scoffing the way Voldemort does, this yeah. idea that, like, it's love, it's love, it's love, blah, 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 it's love. And Dumbledore's like, no, 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 you don't understand. The difference is love. And it's not some, I'm, I'm being quite literal about right. that. The fact that you love them means that you will fight. And that is the difference. And Harry says that's the, all the difference in the world. It sent like a bolt through me the first mm. time I read it. And it's kind of really clever how she kept that corness. Oh, I can go on. 
about that forever. I can literally but, see that page in my head. You're right. It's, it. on, it's, it's not the full page. Yeah, and you're three like, quarters. Oh, last oh, paragraph. It. it made all the difference. It made all the difference in the world. And you walk into the arena with your, head, your head held high. high. It, makes, it makes a big deal. And then there's also the notion that I think so many people connect with, and especially people who are, um, who are maybe marginalized or maybe yeah. um, not living a life of privilege, that when you are down and out and you're given assistance and a little bit of power to own your life, and people say they have your back, the difference you can make in the yeah. world when you're able to use your core strengths and, not, and you're not being pulled down by you know, the closet that you live in. Right. Yes, it is, it's such an empowering story and not just through Harry's lens. That's part of the true magic of it is that there are so many characters who you can say, I identify with this person yes. and I identify with this journey. You know, I think we probably all have versions of that line or that paragraph that just we see so clearly in our heads. You know, for, I have like 900. <laughs> Love these stories. But the one for me that I always, always think about, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's when Harry and Dumbledore are in King's Cross. Harry and S is asking, you know, is this really happening or is this just inside my head? And Dumbledore says, of course it is happening inside your head, Harry, but why on earth should that mean it isn't real? And like... I just, that line has like always meant so much to me because that's why we love stories. Like yeah. that's the gift that these stories give us like, yes, reading Harry Potter, that's happening inside your head, but that doesn't make the magic of it any less real for you or in any way diminish the truly transformative power of what you can take from that book. Like I don't, well, I was going to say, I don't have a wand. That's a lie. I have six. (laughs) (laughs) It's really a problem. I should work on that. I don't have the ability to wield my wand to do actual magic, but the magic in the story, it's a key. It's not the point, right? It's the skeleton key that unlocks something inside of you. And it sounds like a little corny, but it's like the magic is there. That's right. where the magic is. Yeah. And it's about, this is true with all great fantasy literature. This is why we love fantasy stories so much and why we're so drawn to them and why we think they are so special and why they have this ability to unite people. Yeah. You're looking through the lens and it's just that one film you know it's like I always think about how Harry describes seeing James in, in the memory and like with the, the line about deliberate mistakes like I always think about fantasy literature like that it's like looking at your own life but with deliberate mistakes and it's just that one degree of difference that allows you to change the way you think hopefully for the better but to find some peace and some comfort and grow from that and find other people who can help you grow from that and who you can help grow. And it's just really special. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you can kind of trace like the waves of popular fantasy and sci-fi um, as something like this kind of like sine wave of like, cynicism. And when Harry came along, it was almost like asking the question, like, do, you, do people still believe in this? You know what I mean? Like, do people yes. still believe in this unifying principle, which has kind of become corny, like, over the years? But do you still believe in it? Is, this, is it still something we value? Um, and I think the fact that people are still uniting around this story, passing on to other people, is, shows that, yes, that is, a, that is still a principle, as corny as it can seem at, at certain times, that has value in the world. And maybe now more than ever. And now the people who are fans of Harry are making culture. Which is why. Yes, what's completely insane to me is how often 
I will get put in touch with, so now I run a business that does a lot of these fan conventions. And so often we deal with other companies yeah. and 30% of the time, somebody will say, oh, oh, I've been listening to your podcast since whatever. I, you know, we signed up for our Patreon and the person wrote back and was like, oh my God, Pottercast, <laughs> you know, and it's just so, it's so unbelievable because everybody's like grown up and they're going, going to their jobs and there is such a large portion of people that went into related fields and are making yes. the culture and are now part of it. And it's, it's so cool. That's something we've really seen as well is that Potter, the first and second Potter generations have risen to these positions of prominence in, in various companies that make stories, yeah. Stranger Things. When we were watching, like, we, we synced up our Stranger Things season two watch so that we could, you know, text each other yeah. <laughs> as we were watching it. Nice done. And it was just, you could feel Harry all over yeah. that oh, yeah. story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, the pathway between Harry and Voldemort just felt like such a clear inspiration for what was happening with Will. And then, obviously, I mean, you're the comic book expert, so you oh, yeah. can, can timestamp the actual origin story of the Infinity Stones, and that is years a, and years ago, but you still felt the Horcrux. Well, the way, the way they structure that is so clearly like, go for the Horcruxes, right. like that Horcrux hunt, and that kind of, to see that thing enter the wider canon of like story mechanics that people can pick up and use, it has been really amazing. Like, the, it, to see it influence beyond the fandom to other stories and to other ways of telling stories has been like really incredible yeah. and truly validating in this thing that is clearly so powerful. Molly's game is obviously really just about Megalian. <laughs> crippling gambling Molly's addiction. Molly's game is like, is like the one see it Sorkin hole I have in my Sorkin knowledge. So I gotta yeah, see it. I have not seen that Wait, movie. I'm glad you brought up Megalian. So Megalian, for those who don't know, is this... It's this theory that we came up with on our reread to explain why Minerva McGonagall could possibly have thought it appropriate to buy a student a broom and then break what is years of tradition in order to get this student on a Quidditch team underage. Clearly, she, well, listen, it seems a clear mirror to amateur sports and boosterism. Yes. Oh. Does she have some kind of gambling Just issue? rampant NCAA violations to support her gambling habits. Because, like, listen, it's, she sees Harry and she's like, marches right into Woods like, listen, I got a, I got a secret for you. Yes, he's <laughs> underage. Don't ask me any questions about it. What's he riding? Don't worry about it. I'm going to buy this guy a broom. Right. How much does it cost? Don't ask Don't any questions. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And you know you know when the firebolt comes Basically. into play. She's just like, which booster is on my corner right now? <laughs> Don't ask. Like, Don't worry about it. Oh Betty Garrity staring down McCoy across the table. <laughs> and, there's a, and there's various times like over the story where she's, <laughs> she shows an unseemly dedication to... Uh, Gryffindor's chances, you know, in the tournament and and the House Cup in, in general, um, that can only, be, I think, be explained by this, like, meta theory that takes on a life of its own. And, like, that's something that we can share with each other as fans. Like, yeah. hey, here's yes. a thing that I think is happening. Ludo Bagman kisses her hand at the Yule Ball. Right. Again, his name is... Bagman noted. I had never put that together. Bagman. Ludo Bagman kisses her <laughs> that hand. Is crazy. Drop and the bag, Ludo. Known to be on the run for his gambling oh debts. My God. <laughs> One of the things about the Megalian bit that has been so fun for us, though, to connect this back to the idea of fandom is this, like, seeing this shared language spring up around yes. the jokes. So, 
we have McGallion. We have, you know, my good friend, Tom. My good friend, Tom. <laughs> my good friend, Tom Riddle. <laughs> Harry. He's so standing let me, over Ginny's near corpse. And you're just like, Tom, what's up? So let, let, to, let, let, to explain my good friend, Tom. So, yeah, Harry has been engaging with this mysterious book for a number of months, right? It doesn't seem at all strange to him that he's uh, been talking to this figure, Tom Riddle, and through the book. Shows up uh, at the Chamber of Secrets. Ginny Weasley is unconscious at the foot of this uh, ghostly image of Tom Riddle. And Harry's such a trusting soul. Immediately his thing is, Tom, Tom my good friend, yeah. will you help me? <laughs> Clearly help you have me, nothing Tom. to do with this. My good friend, Tom. Tom, my friend, who I've been conversing through that mysterious oh, diary. True. Help me with it. My friend is unconscious. You have God nothing bless. to do with this, I'm sure. Harry's little naive soul. <laughs> yeah. Harry's, Harry's a special sure. guy. It's been amazing though because like so someone in the binge mode Facebook group a couple of people actually made binge mode bingo and it had like McGallion and my good friend Tom we had somebody make a cut of the uh, 30 for 30 the, the pony <laughs> express on for McGallion and her gambling issues sanctions about McGallion and Gryffindor and it's just been a, this real reminder of how this shared language springs up around fandom and how it becomes this shorthand that you have with each other and so I guess we should probably segue from that into hearing from some of you. Yeah, yeah if anybody, anybody, has, if anybody has questions, Ooh. we have a few minutes left. Ah, the binge mode merch, I love it. I, I, this is it. amazing. Yes, hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, and your questions could be about anything. Yeah. All right. Hello. So, What's your name? James Martin. I am Slytherin. Yep. I love Harry Potter. So how do you guys think fan, the development of fan fiction has contributed oh, yeah, to the point. rise of fandom and to the growth of just for lack of a better term, just the growth of nerd culture? Wonderful question. I think, again, it allows people to feel more connected to the material because you can get so deeply into it. You can get as into it as you want. And it can either be through exploring the aspects of it that interest you most. You know, I'm shipping X, so I'm going to just go read 20 stories a day about that thing. Or you can say, wow, this reading these stories has unlocked something in me as a creator. Yeah, that's and I, I want to yeah, I want to try yeah. my hand at it. So I'm gonna go write this. And then maybe you go from fan fiction to writing an original work. And it's happened a lot. Yeah, yeah it's, happened it's a incredible. Lot. Sandra, Claire. Yeah. Sandra Claire, she's one of the best selling authors out there right now. And she started by reading by writing very popular. I think that's Draco a, that's a great fiction. point because like we rightfully so build up these stories as great monuments but it's like it's really hard to connect with that fact that it was jk in stolen moments in cafes when nobody knew her name writing a story and that is an accessible thing that anybody can try to do and you can sit down right now at your computer and write a story you can do it just try it and who knows and well that's sorry yeah no go ahead and then and fan fiction gave people like the the you know sometimes all it takes is a community or a person saying, go ahead and try this, it's okay. Yeah, right. It gave them the, the ability to say, hey, that's okay, you can go ahead and try and write a story and then mm-hmm. put it somewhere where people will actually read it. Yeah, and then back in, back in the day, fanfiction.net and LiveJournal yeah. were the place where all that was living and it was that three-year summer which was between book four and book five. Yeah. And we call it the three-year summer because Harry's at the Dursleys for three years. In our <laughs> minds, it would fell forever. And um, without new canon, it, the, fans, yeah. the fans were just like, fine, we're just going yeah, to ride gonna it make ourselves. It, we're going to write it ourselves. I, I read so many Order of the Phoenixes that were, not, you know, that were right. on fanfiction. Because you didn't want to leave the universe. You didn't yes. leave the universe. Yeah. And that contributed so hard to all these communities forming. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yes. Hello. Hi, I'm yeah. Chris. I'm a Hufflepuff. Hey. Nice. Um, 
Along with, uh, you mentioned McGallion and um, all these kind of... <laughs> I love this so much. Uh, these inside jokes. Um, one of my favorites is Arthur Weasley is just obviously incompetent <laughs> at his job. Um, I mean, here's the thing. The number is right there on the money. Yeah. So, I love Arthur. Um, He's a wonderful can, man. Just can Who not is read? really competent at their job in the Wizarding World? It's, Hermione later on. But Arthur That's is it. supposed to love muggles, and he's like, how do you use a telephone, and how does money work? Yeah. <laughs> this runs on electricity. Yeah. I know. Yeah. This actually takes me to my point. It's helped me develop a, a headcanon that he's actually dyslexic. Oh, wow. And that now we feel bad. Now, we, now it's like, God. <laughs> it's shit. Yeah, guys, way to pick on him. Um, so, Arthur's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Along those lines, what are your favorite headcanons uh, that you've developed over time? You know, the uh, Megalian, I think, is truly a wonderful one. Uh, for A Song of Ice and Fire, at, at Game of Thrones writ large, one of the ones that we developed over the time was just like Jon Snow's obvious depression yeah oh yeah that i mean that is at this point just the lens through which we view that story i think so that is that's not even a bit that's just like has fundamentally altered the way we think about his character and frankly i think the hero's journey yeah i mean like this is obviously an aside in a harry potter uh convention but when john charges the lines at the battle of the bastard one way to look at that is oh how brave another way to look at is that is here's a guy who shouldn't be alive and doesn't want to be anymore and does something absolutely stupid trying to die um so that's there's one i think i think i'm ascribing to mcgallion this is amazing (laughs) i want to know what what her quidditch uh what her quidditch team is because i can't remember i know we know it someplace and how many people she has funneled through a pipeline at this Uh, point listen and how many people are involved in the massive Hogwarts to Quidditch here's another you'll note that she does not make an appearance at the quidditch world cup that's right banned from the grounds also, here's a, another issue. Seems to really not like Trelawney for some reason. Was there bad advice gone wrong? Was there perhaps a sure thing that Trelawney had given her that all of a sudden it didn't turn out to be a sure thing? And now it's like there's obvious enmity between the two. I'm just saying. I need a shirt that says Megalian is canon. <laughs> I need, it's, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, other head cannons, I. I don't have all too many. Um, yeah, just I think we have too many to even think it's of. So it's wide. one of those where there are so many, it's hard to even think of one. Yeah, yeah. but Megalian forever. That's, yeah, Megalian forever. My good friend Tom. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thank great you. shirt. Buy your binge mode merch. Yes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Hello. Claire. Uh, my question is: If you could check a book out of the Hogwarts library for a bit oh. of light reading, what would it be and why? Wow. What a fabulous question. Yeah. All the questions are fabulous, to be clear, but what a fabulous question. Great. I've never heard that question, and I've heard all our questions. <laughs> I mean, I would love to read to properly hold Hogwarts a history in my yeah, hands. Yeah, you know, that's... Mostly so that I could give Hermione some support every time she's like, so has any, you know, have anyone, anyone, anyone ever going to read Hogwarts of History? And Ron, or it's, it, anyone who's read Hogwarts of History would know this and Ron's like, just you then? And I'd be like, no, Ronald, <laughs> Billius Weasley. <laughs> Two of us have read this tome. That's my pick as well, simply because, Billius. one, I'm fascinated. Yeah. Two, everybody's like, it's so boring, Hogwarts of History. It's like, I want to read it. I want to know what's happened. I want to know the foundation of this of this great school. Yeah, really, I one of the greatest yeah. tragedies in the whole story. I think mm. we can agree is just that Professor Bins. I mean, like He's magical sitting, history like, should yeah. be so engaging. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would also like to read most potent potions. Ooh, 
for the drawings at least. Yeah, that might make me sound a little some drawings that are Well, there. you know, like I'm, I'm fascinated just by the schism of the founders. What happened? How did that happen? How did it grow? I know a couple of what great ha- fanfics. Like I, that's, <laughs> uh, that is a subject that fascinates me. Yeah, that's Same. a spinoff yeah. I want for yeah, sure. Yeah, honestly, that what what happened? And were they friends? Were they lovers? Like what 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 yeah. went on there? So there's a there's a I th- to go back to headcanon. Yeah, I think Slytherin and Ravenclaw were together. Ooh. I don't have Whoa. canonical backing up. I just read a fanfic one day that I was like, yes. I love wow. it. Yes. I oh, love it. And somebody said to me earlier today that they want the the Rudy movie of Hogwarts and we decided or of Harry Potter and they just, we decided it would be Ginny getting onto Puddlemere United. Or what, what does she play for? No, she plays for something else. I forgot. But yeah. I love it. What is Puddlemere United? That's I love that. Yeah. I, love, I would love Thank a you. new Ginny story too. That yeah. would be wonderful. Thanks. Thanks, Claire. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, so you guys have touched on a couple different themes mm-hmm. that surround the story as a whole. Um, one of the, I think that the main theme that I connect with is um, accepting death mm. and dealing with the grief of loved ones. Yes. But there's obviously a million to, from racism to treating your inferiors to um, like your choices make you who you are as opposed to how you were born or who your family is. So I was just wondering which theme oh, wow. specifically like you uh, resonate with the most? Wow. Well, I think on my reread, uh, the tolerance theme has become just absolutely huge for numerous reasons because, you know, I think Hogwarts and the Wizarding World is a place where intolerance is really systemic because listen we defeated Voldemort and then we don't teach our kids anything about that whole war right. what happened Ron can't recognize the dark mark we don't, they don't teach them like why that happened what fueled it and when he comes back it's really a surprise and not only the surprise but it was actively suppressed by a lot of people uh, Draco is walking through the halls of Hogwarts saying mudblood and nobody says anything to him Dumbledore a guy I love who takes a stand slightly late, but takes a stand, um, gives that great remember Cedric speech, but never really addresses the student body and says, hey, here's the thing we should avoid, separating people by their blood. Like, let's not do that. Let's not say mud blood in the halls, here's why we shouldn't do it. Um, You know, we talk about like how the fight against death is like a big theme within Harry Potter, but the fight against intolerance was really something that the, the adults in Harry Potter abdicated for a long time. Just the fact that like a, you had to put it on a kid to save the world is a failure of the ministry and the people who had lived through that time before, who were adults and should have known better. And that's, so that, the tolerance theme is really something that's like jumping off the page to me when I'm rereading right now. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. I think for me, I'm just always most drawn to the exploration of choice and the power yeah. of choice. I think it is foundational not only to the story but to advancing through your own life and the story can really help you unlock that I think particularly the brilliance of how she navigates the dissonance between choice and destiny and a, a, a fantasy story built on a prophecy not being at the end of the day about predestination but in fact being about the exact opposite 
is just fascinating and I think extremely rare in culture. I think you almost always see the other side of that. And I'm really, really grateful that so many people got to read a story where we explored the other aspect of that, how love and how our decisions and our identity and the things that we value and choose to believe in can determine, that's what determines our destiny. Our destiny is what we make it. I just think that's an incredible lesson for people. I think for me it's um, the courage, the courage theme, because um, especially in today's time, and it ties into what you're saying about tolerance, it's more important than ever. It's urgent, actually, to take stands and to be on the side of right and to fight against the systemic shutting down um, especially of the media, especially, yeah. you know, I, I mean, um, I know we are in a very conservative state right now, but I don't think I'm speaking to an unfriendly audience when I say that some of the stuff happening right now is very, very troubling. And we have to remember that we are all each other. And those of us who have the biggest bat to swing, and I mean that in a not violent way, but like who have the biggest microphone, who have the biggest platform, have a responsibility of courage. Yeah. And Harry has certain powers and Harry has certain abilities and Harry knows what he can do in the world and and makes a choice to do it until he can't do it anymore and then comes back and does it again. And if we can all follow that, I think we could just make things a little bit better. So You have to fight and keep fighting. Beautiful. Very inspired right now. Do we have do we have time for one one or two more? We, do we have to leave the stage? I think we're okay for okay, one, one more. Oh, two uh, hi, hi. I'm Samantha. Hello. Samantha. Um, I have a question. It's kind of a cross between your Harry origin stories and the fan fiction question from earlier. What were some of the first or most fundamental experiences you've had with that part of the fandom? Oh, good for some good wrecks. Yeah. I mean. Talking to my colleague Ruby about it this weekend. Um, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I think it was definitely something that in the wait after I rushed through the first five books and was waiting for for me, it wasn't it wasn't goblet to order, it was order to prince. Just anything I could get from the world, anything that anybody was thinking about felt like such a precious gift. And so for me, it was I guess it's just more of a macro experience, like how. Uh, discovering fan fiction unlocked the fact that there were all these people out there waiting to have a conversation with you if you were willing to look for it. That was just really thrilling for me. I don't remember the actual title of the ones that I read, but there was one, um, a Draco-centric one, that was basically the events of Half-Blood Prince Through His Eyes that that unlocked the idea of what makes a character real is that they have their own drives, their own fears, and their own reasons for doing things, and that's how you make a great character, is put yourself in their shoes and you can kind of understand what they're doing, even if you disagree with what they've done. You understand their motivations. Um, God, I wish I could remember the name of it. But it really taught me about... Perspective. Perspective and switching perspective. One of the things that we we realized on a recent podcast uh, is before the Quidditch World Cup, when the, when the Weasleys arrive at the Dursleys' house, yeah. if you put yourself in their shoes, Arthur popping out of the fireplace, destroying the living room, what a nightmare that really is for them. And how J.K. beautifully set the stakes for the muggle world in that, in that scene, because, you know, Dudley is, is deformed, basically, by Fred and George, like, dropping some, some uh, Jinx toffee in there, and then they just walk away. You know, and this is in a sense, the best outcome for the muggles because Arthur loves muggles. Loves them. Loves them. 
what happens when someone who hates them is given power? And really an underrated scene, and, and I think about that a lot when I think about like the fan fiction and how you can switch perspectives by thinking about another character and writing something from their perspective. Yeah, there's a Great lot point. of talk this weekend, I'll answer in a second, but there's a lot of talk this weekend about Marietta Edgecombe mm. and... Yeah. Was that ever reversed? Yeah. Did she just live, she made a terrible mistake, absolutely. Yeah. But does she live like that for the rest of her right. life? Wasn't that very cruel? Yes. You know? And I love Hermione, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I have, my, the thing that got me in, the fanfic that got me into fandom was called After the End. And it's this incredibly long, um, written before book five, but as though the kids had, had fought and defeated Voldemort and with a spell called Expecto Sacrificum, which means they all got together and vowed to um, sacrifice themselves for Harry and the curse rebounded when Voldemort tried it and you know and then there's and it's by these two amazing women one of whom is writing um, muggle fiction right now her name is Megan Morrison and um, her fanfic name was Arabella SQ it's on the sugar quill and there is another one that she's written well two one is the diary from Ginny's perspective oh wow it is when you get into there and you really see it well written it is so abusive and it's so it's so incredibly you what Ginny must have gone through yeah. that year and also one is called Hermione Queen of Witches it's almost the whole series from Hermione's perspective from a, a like a legal benign <laughs> Uh, diary of right. the same of the same, and you just got to spend so much cool time with Hermione. That's right. what made it amazing. So look on a site called The Sugar Quill for um, Arabella SQ's writing. Fabulous, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Oh, hi. I'm Sybil. One more. Um, one more. Like yes. Trelawney. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Um, it's. I'm actually very grateful for the series because obviously before I was compared, you know, to the Sally Fields character name. So it's a much more delightful comparison <laughs> to, <be> compared <laughs> to a professor. Um, so I stumbled across a meme. Uh, the other day uh, that someone has a headcanon theory that Hermione insists her children attend some primary muggle schooling before Hogwarts just as she had done. Now imagine (laughs) Arthur Weasley attending his grandchild science fair being the ultra proud grandfather and yet completely geeking out over absolutely everything like that's a volcano, a very small volcano. <laughs> How young lady did you make this? Baking soda and food coloring, marvelous. Um, I kind of was just curious what you, um, your opinion was of the educational system before kids go to Hogwarts. Obviously you need to know oh, wow. a great deal of math and literature in order to be successful in, in any uh, scholastic classes, but also with magic where they're kind of dropped into really complicated verbiage and math. This is a great question, and I would like to, um, I'm going to let Jason and Melissa answer it, and I'm going to instead comment on not what comes before, but what comes after. Where's the secondary education in the wizarding world? You got your orders training, sure. Right, there's some secondary training for particular crafts. I don't want vocational training only. Like, what else? What about the academics? What do they do? They leave Hogwarts or their schools at 17. Mm -hmm. These Dumbledore live north of 100. Yeah. Everyone's leaving school and getting married at seventeen. I guess, I guess it's it's baked in that you either pick a pick a craft and learn that way, or yeah. you maybe there are maybe there are or you find a Grindelwald. You do find your Grindelwald or Dumbledore. Does anyone just like go to Australia for a year? Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Does that happen? Wagadoo? No, Wagadoo is someplace else. Um, what's your? I, I I believe that the educational system in the Wizarding World is slightly lacking, and <laughs> I think the primary. Uh, proof of this is the most ambitious wizards, the people who really want to learn more, are the ones that 
invariably go bad because it just feels like there's not, the guidelines aren't there. In order for them to really become, to, to satiate their curiosity, they end up going off book and finding these things that are really Well, you, you put the interesting books behind a rope and tell the kids they can't read them. What do you yeah. think's going to happen? Yeah. We're all really lucky, I guess, that Hermione didn't become an evil sorceress. Oh, we are. <laughs> yeah. If Hermione decided to do it, no force in the verse that could stop her. Um, yeah, I'm really curious about how they get along in a world where they don't know math and science. And yeah. I guess they're, it's fine in their little closeted communities, but I think the wizarding world is going to have to come to grips with the fact that the muggle world is building, you know, is, is, is permeating. Right. Um, so maybe they do. Maybe they go off and take some courses. Maybe some of them are in universities, in muggle universities, to, to learn some stuff. But the wizarding secondary, yeah, yeah skills, like where is... I'm so, I, mean, I, what, want, I yeah. want her to write more about that. Maybe she says that they get, like, homeschooled. Yeah. Maybe that's why the ministry I mean, is, like, so bad at a lot of things. <laughs> They're terrible. Yeah. They're just They're not great at nobody, nobody who's working there can do math or read? Is that yeah. the but truly, there's no evidence that anybody is sure somebody can read before they go to Hogwarts. Yeah. So all your only requirements for Hogwarts is to be magical and I mean, again, Arthur can't, doesn't know numbers. Arthur doesn't, doesn't know numbers. numbers. And, and after a devastating like Death Eater attack on the World Cup says, yes, we are investigating, and if you'll excuse me, I need to go to bed. I'm tired. I'm sleepy now. Very sleepy. Yeah. Hadn't, hadn't worked uh, odd hours in quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, it's wild. Yeah. So much more to plumb. So much more. All right. Thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Thank you to everyone for joining us today. Thank you to Melissa. Yeah. Thanks thank to the Binge Heads. Thank you, Leaky Khan. All right. That's our show for today. Thank you to everyone for listening to Binge Mode Live from LeakyCon. Thank mm-hmm. you again to Melissa yes. for joining us at LeakyCon. We will be back with another HP Extra on Thursday. Yes. August 23rd. Our interview with Chris Rankin, a.k.a. Percy Weasley, a.k.a. Weatherby, a.k.a. our new best friend. He's our friend now. He's just a great guy. We had so much fun chatting with him. And that interview will be up soon. And then join us on Monday. Yes. August 27th for the beginning of our two-week Order of the Phoenix Deep Dive. Wow. Angst. Teenage angst. How was the kiss? How was the kiss? What? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>